0: You're listening to Text Message, the UK-focused technology podcast with me, Nate Langson, And me, Ian Morris. Well, we're opening this week with an email from Richard, and specifically wanted to also say hello to IS a company in Northern Ireland who, it turns out, listened to the podcast in their office. I, When we did the survey a few weeks ago, one of the things I wanted to learn was how many downloads does a single person generate it turns out that most people only download the show on one device which is great but richard wrote in and did also let me know that maybe some people download the show once and play it to an office or maybe their kids have it played in their computer science gcc classes uh, both of which it turns out are, are true so if you're playing the podcast to your office i'd love to know
1: i too is i was really excited by this i don't know why i think it was because I quite like the idea that people are, you know, like there's that's a whole office full of people who are um who are presumably all happy to listen to our aimless ranting and twittering on Sundays. Uh, well, that may they obviously don't listen on a Sunday, but it's quite nice to know that uh you know, it, we're being treated much like a radio and I find that uh, immensely satisfying.
0: I apologize to the one person in the office who doesn't like listening to Ian and I. Uh, You have my sympathies. I have to listen to Ian a lot more than you do, though, and he has to listen to me a hell of a lot more than you do, so you've got off easy. (laughs) Uh, Anyway, Richard did write in with an email relevant to last week's show where we were talking about BT. BT and spam calls and alternatives to landlines and uh, I'm going to trim the email ever so slightly but I did think this point was worth worth making. Uh, Richard says I I must confess to being very sceptical of BT's claims to have helped eliminate spam calls to landlines. They have done a wonderful job of eliminating junk from UK numbers by signing up to the blocking scheme but as a business we used to get 10 to 20 junk calls every day from unknown or very obviously fake numbers and a large number of international numbers. Despite years of Asking BT to block these calls, they claim that they cannot block any international calls due to international treaties regarding calls between countries. They can block our number from making calls to international numbers, but not block international numbers from calling us. So he said they also switched to a voiceover IP line, which has been much better because they can block international numbers. And that intrigued me no end because that's what you, Ian, said last week that you did. You got a VoIP line too. Which just makes me think VoIP yeah. is still the future. Which to me, the word VoIP makes me think of the word Vonage, which makes me think of two thousand and six.
1: It's interesting because I, I, I've always thought one of the big big mistakes that Skype made was not offering, even if it was a sort of parallel service, was offering some sort of Skype service. Um, because uh, I was I was thinking about using Skype. I thought, oh, what a good idea! I could just have a Skype line, and it would it would be like a VoIP line, and I'd be able to call normal numbers and etc. and have a phone number but they don't offer any functionality with hardware. So, unless you get a very specific Skype phone, you can't make a, you know, you can't have a phone in your house that is connected to Skype not easily. Whereas VoIP is much more widely supported and in fact if you want, you can just have a little box that you plug normal phones into and they're just turned into into VoIP phones by this little piece of hardware. Um so I've always thought that was a sort of missed business opportunity for Skype. Skype could have been this huge global phone provider, but they just sort of won't do it because they like to have their proprietary little system and uh, and it isn't compatible with the proper standard.
0: Well, this has prompted a wonderful conversation. Uh, If you want to prompt a wonderful conversation, you can also do as Richard did and send an email to podcast at com. We love to hear your emails. You can even send us voice attachments if you wish. We have had a couple of people do it recently, but for various programmatic reasons, we weren't able to use them. But that is something that I want to try and do a little more of. So you can always record stuff and send them to us there. And if you're playing this to an office, and you want us to say hello to your office, we're very willing. I think this introduction has proved just how willing we are to do that. Uh, We're also willing to talk about the week's news, so let's do that. And in fact, let's do it now. Let's do it right now. There's a little musical pause there, so when I said right now, what I really meant was right now, after the musical bumper. Um, So you're soon (laughs) going to be able to get Sky TV without having a satellite dish. This is huge news. Kate, my fiancé, and I were driving uh, yesterday to... Uh, Wait, well, it doesn't matter where we're going to. Uh, we were driving. And <laughs> I noticed one of the big, old, fat, analog satellite dishes on the side of somebody's house. I said, God, what an eyesore they were in the 90s and the 80s and before they moved to digital. But now it seems that these things are going to be completely irrelevant. We're, going to, we're moving towards a dish-free future. Very exciting. Sky is planning to make its TV service, which is nearly 300 channels. I think it's about 200... 70, 280 channels available without a satellite dish, they're going to move the whole distribution service over to broadband connections as an option. It's not a complete replacement. It's going to be an option. And the option allows Sky to sell TV to about two 2 million new households in the UK, or 6 million households across Europe, who don't have a satellite dish. That's according to The Guardian. On a broad level, obviously, this would make it uh, a far more similar service to Virgin Media, which delivers broadband and television down a single cable. But, there are some huge nuances, which obviously we're going to discuss shortly, such as whether this would require fiber optic cable or be limited to Sky's broadband package, whether it would consume regular bandwidth, shared with your family's internet activity, or whether it would use as Virgin does a separate channel of data, you know, whether for HD and 4K would be supported, because they're hugely dependent on the speed of your internet. So we'll discuss that in a little bit. Uh, but all this came up during Sky's recent earnings report in which the CEO of Sky, Jeremy Derek, said, quote, We have exciting plans in place to launch our Sky TV service in the UK without the need for a satellite dish for the first time, opening up the full Sky TV service to millions of customers who either don't currently want or can't have a dish installed. Uh, he goes on and says, launching in our next financial year, so that's 2018, uh, and initially in the UK, this broadband-based service will open up headroom for growth. Over time, we will launch this service in our other markets, so across Europe, building on our position as Europe's leading OTT or over-the-top provider. So this is very interesting for us as consumers, but the timing is crucial also for Sky. Uh, it had an 18% fall in its profits just for the UK business in the second half of last year, and a lot of that obviously is to do with the ridiculous cost of, uh, of bidding for sports, competing with BT, but also we've just got such an insanely rampant competitive market at the moment um, that it's 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 really costing companies a lot of money just to keep their head above water. So, Ian... Before we move on and discuss some of the nuances, what was your takeaway to this? Does this feel inevitable?
1: Um, Well, yeah, I mean, I suppose it does. Uh, I I can envisage a time when we will rely on some form of, uh, I suppose, delivering stuff over the internet is a complicated thing. And I guess what I'm trying to get at here, really, is that everything will eventually be delivered via IP, I suppose. I mean, it just feels like that's the way things are going. It's efficient. You can put it over, you could put it over the air or you could put it through, you know, traditional mobile networks or you can put it on a cable. Uh, but I think the, the point is that we're sort of moving from a more traditional broadcast system to a much more IP-based system. So it isn't a massive surprise to me that this is coming. I'll, I'll also I, I'll give you some examples of why I think it's sort of uh, happening sort of now-ish. I think Now TV... Has obviously given Sky a lot of valuable data about how people consume uh, TV and about the feasibility of delivering video over the internet. Uh, So they've obviously learnt a lot from that project. Also, if you look at Sky Q, um, you know that I have a box in my lounge that uh, receives you know Sky signals from a Sky satellite and. I then have a second box here in the study where I record the podcast with you. Uh, and it uses um, a streaming system. I believe it's called... Now, uh, Sky is a a, part, a contributor to this project and it's called Sat IP. Um, now, they don't obviously mention it, at all in any of their literature, they don 't talk about how they do their stuff, but they were very involved in the development of that and um a couple of years ago, companies like Elgato had little satellite receivers that would enable you to sort of stream out to compatible boxes but it enables you to do everything that you would do on a normal satellite box, but just at the end of a wi fi connection or or an ethernet cable so all the encryption is, remains in place and is just handled by the box itself, so it's, it's almost like they were just sort of taking what they've learned from the Sky Q thing and then moving that onto an internet delivery system, and my Skybox sends me 720p to my TV in here, and the quality is amazing, so if they can achieve that sort of thing on um, you know the internet, then it'll be pretty cool, I reckon.
0: It's obviously the way that all this is going because realistically installing something as cumbersome as a satellite dish on the side of your house and having it beam television from space, probably not as easy long term. As just delivering it down a fiber optic cable. And it is likely, I think, that this would only be delivered down fiber optics. You know, you could do it over DSL, but the the wildly fluctuating nature of speeds over copper wiring would make it a very poor... To piss poor service at yeah. best, so I think it's safe to assume this would be a fibre package. I think it's also probably safe to assume that this would be something that would be sold as a at least initially as a all Sky package. So you would sign it up would to Sky fibre and you and you get it. You probably won't be able to sign up to Virgin fiber and then tack on a sky package on
1: top yeah. although maybe you would maybe that's no i'll I tell you why i don't think you would be able to i think it's going to come down to the fact that they're going to need to have such a, a high level of quality assurance on the lines that it will only be something they can manage internally um you know this isn't this isn't sort of netflix we're talking about like i mean netflix is quite good looks generally looks pretty good on all connections but if you're a broadcaster You want to be able to assure people that they're getting a broadcast quality service. And, you know, as much as I love Netflix, it doesn't give any such assurance. You know, you might get really good quality or you might get really bad quality. Depends on your line. Um, And I I can't see a way to really do this properly without it being a sky end-to-end solution. Um, I I think you're almost certainly right. And, And
0: there are some other things that we have to factor in. You know, for one thing, if you're talking about standard deaf content for a single TV... That's not ridiculously difficult oh, no, to do fine. down copper. But if you're doing multi-room, if you're doing multi-room HD, and by 2018, you know, the, the entirety of this year and part of next year, it's likely we'll have at least some 4K broadcasting by that point. That is not going to be capable of coming down even some of the current fiber packages. I was looking at Sky's fiber packages. Um, you know, the entry-level one has a, uh, has a 25 gig mon- monthly usage allowance. Well, that's going to need to go... Entirely up to a maximum of thirty-eight megabits per second, so that's a fraction of what fibre can currently do on, say, Virgin uh, or even some of BT's uh, wholesale packages. It currently goes up to a maximum of seventy-six megabit per second, which is certainly enough to stream four K, but not multi-room, and certainly not if it was being used alongside, you know, somebody streaming Netflix in a bedroom or gaming in an office or you know uh, anything else in another room. So something really quite drastic is going to have to change with with Sky's internet packages too. All of which could be fantastically exciting from a competitive standpoint. Um, and I'm extremely excited about this. It opens up so many doors and you know, I, d- I would not have Sky almost exclusively because I don't want a satellite dish.
1: I-, I wondered if maybe Sky would restrict this to people who uh, actually, couldn't get a satellite dish.
0: No, they're not. They've said not. They've said it is, it, it is for some people who can't, you know, but it is also people who won't.
1: Right. So, because uh, I wondered, because it's obviously going to cost them a, quite a bit of money to provision this kind of stuff. I wondered if maybe they might just try and go only for people who lived in, say, blocks of flats who had, uh, you know, internet from them and stuff like that. You know, look, people who traditionally would struggle to get a good service on a satellite dish. So, well, you're but right. I mean, not. even
0: in my previous uh, flat where we used to live in, in Ealing, we rented and we weren't allowed to put up a satellite dish. So
1: no matter how much we wanted Sky, contractually, we were you know restricted from, from doing it. I know people don't like satellite dishes, and uh, especially with things like Sky Q, having one dish that serves the whole, ha- whole block is actually fairly challenging technically. You wouldn't believe how hard, hard it is actually to do. Um, it shouldn't be, but it is. Well, one thing before we just move
0: away from talking about um, controversial and interesting topics involving satellite broadcasting systems uh ian you wanted to mention uh, a kerfuffle that's happening
1: to people who may enjoy the discovery channels i did i did i mean this is not super tech um but there is a tech angle that we'll come to at the end and uh it's like any deal that any company has Sky and Discovery work together, and Sky pays Discovery some money, and Discovery provides its channels. Uh, but recently, Discovery has been saying things like we haven't had a pay rise for, since you know 2007 and stuff like that. And in real terms, the amount of money they're making has gone down, and they argue that their share of service has gone up. Um, so there is a dispute between the two companies uh, that is going to result in a couple of days by the end of the month. In fact, uh, Discovery will re- withdraw its channels. From sky so they will only be available on virgin and i think bt uh, which is alarming if you're a discovery viewer on sky and i think most of us are because discovery is uh for, for some of its faults still a pretty good channel so the
0: tech angle to this is that you have a theory
1: about what discovery well,
0: might do instead
1: i think you know they've if it, it depends how how long this dispute goes on for really if if uh, if, if, if it's true that Discovery's genuinely prepared to hold out for a certain amount of money and Sky is genuinely not prepared to give it to them, uh, then I suspect we may they may have to explore other avenues. And again, as we've just discussed, d- delivering content over the internet is possible now. Uh, the BBC did it with BBC3. They moved it off Terrestrial and put it online only. So I suspect that maybe the future for Discovery will be uh, its own streaming service. Uh, I think the friction with that comes from having to pay again. Uh, Sky is certainly not going to put its prices down when Discovery goes. Uh, so what do you do then? I mean, you basically, you've got to, you know, you're going to be paying the same amount for Sky and you're going to want Discovery. You have to pay extra for Discovery. It's going to be a difficult uh, thing for viewers uh, unless Discovery decides to sort of go, well, all right, then we'll, we'll be free and ad funded. But I don't know if that's even possible with their model. So who knows? Um, but they're certainly going to be cutting out a lot of their income if they're not going to be on Sky anymore.
0: I also have a theory about this in Ooh, that I don't think this is going to be the last time we hear of a discussion like this because content providers are all too aware that their options for getting their content seen have never been so wide and have never widened so frequently. And so you look at a service like Netflix and you think, well, everything on Netflix is is on demand. It's just all you know, physical files stored on a server somewhere. It's not live. Well, what if In future, Netflix opened itself up to the option of having a live
1: portion. Well, I'll tell you this, Nate. You don't even even need to do live with Netflix uh, because all you're doing is you're just replacing the traditional play out of a a broadcaster. You could make it appear live, but it doesn't actually need to be live. It's just files stored and played out in a certain time. Um, So you could do it. You could do it easily. I wonder if that's actually not far away in our future. Well, I've... I've I I I sorry I did interrupt you. I, do, I um I do wonder if Netflix is exploring the idea of becoming much more of a platform um because its its infrastructure is very good and very clever and I wonder if maybe it sees itself in the future as being something that provides a service to other smaller companies.
0: Lots here for you to give us your feedback on. Would you prepare be prepared to ditch virgin media perhaps or switch on sky for the first time if it was delivered via internet alone let us know podcast at NateLangson.com. and it's at this point i should remind you that if you're not following us on at text message pod in the week you're missing out on seeing all the news we're potentially going to talk about in the week uh, at the at the at the weekend when we do the show and you can let us know any opinions you have on those stories in advance If you're in the UK and you have ever torrented TV shows or movies, then this next topic is going to be of interest to you because we've learnt a little more this week about how you may be targeted by an anti-piracy campaign. Now, we've discussed this campaign before, but in a nutshell, it's a scheme called Get It Right from a Genuine Site, and it's specific to the UK. In fact, it's actually part-funded by the government. It means copyright holders can send you letters via your ISP if they see you pirating content illegally online your name will go in a database and you'll be encouraged to take action to stop the activity now that could be activity that you're knowingly conducting it could be activity that your kids or a partner or even somebody using your wi-fi if you leave it open uh, are doing and that this may be a prompt to have the all-important sit-down conversation about piracy Uh, now no legal action is going to be taken as part of this this is all about education and actually the messages you'll receive are officially called educational emails, but it is hoped that they will serve as a bit of a shock to the system to remind you that, yeah you know what, you're not that anonymous and you can be identified, Uh, but also B, mostly to encourage you to start acquiring content from legal sources rather than BitTorrent or similar. And although we've talked about this briefly before, we did learn a few more things this week, and specifically what I thought was worth pointing out uh, are the ISPs that are going to be involved in this initially as of this month. These include Virgin, Sky, TalkTalk, BT, but also Plusnet. These are all going to be involved in this. So if you're a customer of any of those networks, uh, any of those providers, and you're BitTorrenting, then you're potentially at least uh, a target of this. Now, they've said as well that they're going to send a maximum number of two and a half million emails per year, and the program will stay active for a minimum of three years. But a couple of other things we learned this week. Number three is that you'll have a 20-day grace window, which is, uh, you know, three weeks. And that's a lot longer than what I read on Torrent Freak this week uh, uh, that the US has, which is about seven days. So it basically means if you get caught doing this and you have an email, you'll go 20 days before being sent another one if uh, you're seen to be doing it again. Uh, But if no further infringements happen on your account... That means no more letters. And after 12 months of no more letters, you will have your name cleared from this database. But the FAQ that was posted this week to the website did highlight that there's no blacklisting of customer accounts as such. Um, So it's a very low um i don't say low risk but low impact campaign it's it's not going to report you to copyright offices and, and have legal bills thrust under your door but it is going to be perhaps a bit of a wake-up call
1: educate it's edu- about education isn't it and i do support the idea that we can uh you know we can educate people and i i there are lots of reasons that people download things uh you know off the internet uh because they can because they're interested in it because they haven't got any money blah 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 blah, blah. um and but at the same time it, you know the more we educate people in you know the number of jobs that are employed in creative industries and stuff like that uh you know the more people think ah oh, you know i don't mind i've said this a million times um you know it it took me uh, you know quite a lot of years to get to the point where I have enough money to be able to afford to buy any media I pretty much want. I don't, you know, I don't need to rely on torrents. I also have a huge number of, amount of sympathy for, you know, the people who are younger who who don't. And I understand why they do what they do. Uh, but, you know, educating them will help. And then one day when they've got some money, they'll be happy to pay to acquire stuff. I have spent so much money on computer games recently. It is quite upsetting. Uh, but also good for the industry, right? And, um, and you know, when I was younger, didn't used to pay for computer games. So they've built an audience in me that won't go away. So I think it's important. But uh, it's, it's good that the letter is a fairly light touch, I think.
0: It's one that makes me wonder whether this should be you know, taught in schools in some ways, my gut reaction is no, it's not the job of teachers to carry the anti-piracy message of lobbying groups. But at the same time, kids are growing up in an era of unrivaled on-demand access to anything they want. They've grown up in a culture of kind of, um, you know, if it exists, then why can I not have it now? There are no reasons for this. And so (laughs) it makes me think, you know, is, is there some sort of middle ground somewhere that You know, we don't want this to be delivered by lobbyists, but but maybe as part of kind of a general education about the Internet, everything from social media to how to, you know, not get yourself fired from a job by saying something stupid on Twitter when you're 16. um, You know, maybe this is the sort of thing that could be folded in in a light touch way that that maybe could could help inform kids about, you know, how companies make money and maybe how pirating it is is destructive
1: i i sort of oh and I, i've always felt this i do feel like it's an ethical issue rather than a what and it shouldn't be a legal one uh you know you're not you're not stopping anyone from making money out of their project product uh, ultimately if you steal something like a car or a you know a hamburger you've removed something uh you know and, and then it can't be sold um you know hollywood continues to be profitable uh it, it continues to make films that are a success or not um I don't doubt there are financial challenges. I I just I would I kind of feel like there is a lot of stuff that doesn't happen that should do like going to the cinema is still not a brilliant experience. I, I went to see Rogue One before Christmas and it was OK as a as an experience, but it was extremely expensive. And um and I still didn't feel like I was getting the kind of service I would be getting. I'd have rather watched that film at home. Yes. We, we've had the same experience
0: before. We, we rarely go to the cinema, but you know maybe once every couple of months. But the only reason that we will go is that through my company, we have a discount scheme um, where you can get two for one cinema tickets if yeah. you go in the week. So we do two for one and it works out about paying, you know, seven or eight pounds uh, per person because a 15 pound ticket it's is... It's still
1: quite expensive if you think about it, isn't it? Like it's not cheap to go to the cinema... Uh, you know, and and watching for an uh, evening's entertainment, I'm not going to begrudge eight pounds. No, but it is. It isn't an evening, is it? And you have to go through all that stress about booking a ticket, getting the right seat. I I cannot go to cinemas and sit in the wrong seat. I nothing is more likely to irk me than being Ian, at the what front. What cinema are you going to where they tell you what seat to sit in? Well, you have to if you want to go to a busy film, like a a film that's you know not like been about to leave the cinema you're competing with about 300 other people who all want the best seat in the house uh so i i you know so you have to book a seat right and i think all cinemas have allocated seating now no one just does that thing where you run it at the start and sit in the best seat do they Uh, to be honest all the films we've seen recently have had like two (laughs) two people and a a
0: sad dog in it and no one seems to mind or question why a dog's watching a film (laughs) but the fact is it's very empty so we can have pick of the pick of the pick of the seats. Uh, well, let us know t- your thoughts to this. Obviously, you know this is not a new topic. It's not one that we um, imagine we won't talk about again either in future. But in terms of how you think this sort of. I don't say war on on torrenting, but the kind of educational side to what the industry is trying to do right now. What do you think? And and are these letters worth it? Have you got one? If you have got one, then we definitely want to hear from you anonymously, if you wish. That would be that would be fine. And whether it will actually have any effect on you, or if you can imagine receiving one. Uh, maybe if you, have, if you have kids that are doing this, but you don't, if you can imagine receiving one, how would you treat that? You know, would you, would you sit down and have a chat with, with whoever you think might be doing this? i uh, would love to know this. Podcast at nateslangson.com. Well, over at at text message pod had an interesting tweet come in from Gareth this week that reminded me of something I forgot to mention at the weekend uh, last week when we were talking about driving through busy city places where the 4G doesn't work. And I said, actually, now it's sometimes better to drop down to SMS because there's so little activity on that network, thanks to WhatsApp and iMessage and the the like, um, that you can use them actually very, very efficiently now. And he said... I've actually found that dropping back from 4G to 3G uh, achieves a speedier connection because no one's on it. And I also did that at the weekend, and it did work. And, you know, 4G is technically faster, but if it's choked, it's slow. Whereas 3G, most phones are trying to get on the strongest signal, not the most not the least congested signal so 3g was uh, was much more efficient for me um, for sending photographs so uh, thank you gareth for
1: pointing that out presumably that works if you go to america on three and you use feel at home and everyone there will be on 4g while you would be on 3g because they don't do 4g roaming it's an interesting little tip that it absolutely is and uh, i don't know how this is achieved on
0: android but i do know that if you ever find yourself in a predicament like this and you want to experiment with uh, dropping down onto 3g you can do uh, in the settings menu mobile data mobile data options voice and data and there's an option that says 4g and you can drop it down to 3g uh, or 2g although in my experience uh dropping down to 2g as a way of sending texts is no more efficient than staying on a congested 4g network it shouldn't be an option it's pointless
1: and i can tell you it's the same on android it's available on all phones
0: one more story uh, news-wise that we wanted to touch on briefly, only because I thought, uh, well, because I didn't have much else I wanted to talk about this week. Uh, Tesco's mobile payment app, PayQuick,
1: horrible name, capital P-A-Y, capital Q-W-I-Q. Seriously, if this podcast wasn't marked as clean, I'd have some words to say about that. Indeed, imagine those words, listeners, in your in your head. <laughs> uh, unless Unless you're in school, as mentioned
0: earlier, in which case don't, those are naughty words. Don't use those words. Uh, anyway, PayQuick uh, is now available in all Tesco supermarkets across the UK. Now, that we, we almost talked about this story uh, a few months ago when the trials were rolling out because they trialed this in about 50 stores in London, Edinburgh. Then they extended to about 500 stores, and I still didn't think it was worth talking about. And then this week I decided it was worth talking about when I realized that on a contactless card, you can only spend about 30 quid per contactless Transaction, whereas using this pay quick thing, you can spend up to £250 in Tesco because it puts like a, a QR code on your iPhone or your Android phone's screen. And you hold that against a little laser scanner at the checkout, and obviously you've linked your Tesco account with your bank account ahead of time, so it can just sort of debit that from your bank. So you can get around the contactless uh, limit of, of low spends and, and spend, you know, a couple of hundred quid in one go. And they're rolling this out to all Tescos everywhere in the country. So I think this is great. Mark Locke, who's the uh, the director of this uh, of this initiative, said that apparently customer feedback has been very positive. Uh, from their trials, and that's why they're rolling it out.
1: Do you really want to have another payment system on your phone?
0: Far from it, absolutely not. But at the same time, you can't use contactless for some payments. So if this is a way of, of having it as a backup, if you ever do spend more than 30 quid and you don't carry your cards around maybe, because that's the habit that people are forming, certainly I am, then this is a good backup to have if you shop at Tesco. We don't have a Tesco near us. We have a Morrison's, a Sainsbury's, an ASDA. You know, I'm going to stop naming supermarkets now. We don't have happy. what I want, which is a Waitrose. Ah, but, Waitrose. Um,
1: You've got to come to Surbiton for the Waitrose, mate. Uh, yeah. <laughs> It'd be a
0: hell of a drive for me to drive from uh, Hertfordshire to uh, Surbiton. Made even longer by the fact that I can't drive.
1: Worth it. Totally worth, hmm. totally worth learning, buying a car, getting down here. Worth it. There must be a Waitrose somewhere near you.
0: Not there is, but um, one of them is kind of a little Waitrose local thing in a, in a petrol station, which is just not quite compelling enough no. to go to. And the other one's several miles away.
1: This has turned into a conversation that literally no one is interested in, hasn't it? Yes. I look forward to not hearing it in the final podcast. If it makes it into the final edit, everybody... I'll eat my shoes. Yeah, he can. He, it'll be a soul effort.
0: Let's check in with Tom Merritt. Tom, what has been going on on Daily Tech News show this week? Hey, thanks Nate. This week on Daily Tech News show, Allison Sheridan and I talked about why we say we saw news on Facebook or on Media instead of referring to the publisher or the writer. We dug into the state of Hyperloop development, which by the way, Europe has a chance to get first. Discussed Facebook's change to deliver trending topics by region instead of tailored to each person. Speculated what Dropcam's Greg Duffy could do now that he works for Apple and discussed whether LG and Samsung's forthcoming phones will get us interested in phones again all that and more coming up at dailytechnewsshow.com That's it Ian we're done it's time for me to go and have another coffee I'm going to cook some fish might even do chicken instead of fish It's been a bit of pleasure once again
1: thanks for uh, the fully update uh, you know a, a really interesting in-depth dive into what you're planning on having for tea uh, I look forward to uh, picking up with you later uh, news of how that's gone, uh, what, what the taste sensations were surrounding that food. Uh, good uh, good chat.
0: I'll let you know. And listeners, <laughs> we'll see
1: you in a week. Groovy. That has to go. There's so much in there that has to go. And we
0: can use those. We can incorporate them into the show. We're like the Mary Berry of podcasting. You know, we're just going to throw the ingredients out and you can help us mix them. And you can do that with a wooden spoon at at text message pod on Twitter. What a load of bollocks I just said.
1: I I was wondering where you were going with any of that. It was fairly um, obscure.
0: I only usually think about three words ahead just as a way of not saying um a lot so every now and again stuff comes out and my mouth surprises my brain